You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. China's Volt Typhoon snoops into U.S. infrastructure with special attention paid to Guam. Iranian cyber criminals are seen conducting ops against Israeli targets. A new gang uses recycled ransomware. A persistent Brazilian campaign targets Portuguese financial institutions. A new botnet targets the gaming industry. Phishing attempts impersonate OpenAI. Pro-Russian geolocation graffiti. Andrea Little Limbago from Enteros addresses the policy implications of ChatGPT. Our guest is John Check from Raytheon Intelligence and Space on cybersecurity and workforce strategy for the space community. And Killnet says no to slacker hackers. I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire Intel briefing for Thursday, May 25th, 2023. A joint advisory from All Five Eyes reports a major Chinese cyber espionage operation that has succeeded in penetrating a wide range of U.S. critical infrastructure sectors. Microsoft, in its own report on Volt Typhoon, as the threat actor is being called, says the group has been active since at least the middle of 2021. The targets of the spying have included a slew of sectors, including communications, manufacturing, transportation, government, IT, and education, among others. Microsoft writes that the threat actor intends to lie low and conduct cyber espionage for as long as they can. It does this, the Five Eyes stress, by carefully living off the land, exploiting existing legitimate administrative tools and privileges in its targets. Much of Volt Typhoon's activity has been directed against Guam, a U.S. territory in the Western Pacific that plays host to important U.S. military bases. Those bases would be important to any U.S. intervention on behalf of Taiwan, should China decide to take a page from Russia's geopolitical playbook and invade what it regards as a renegade province. For its part, China dismisses the reports as American disinformation and denies its involvement in any activity the Five Eyes and Microsoft associate with Volt Typhoon. 
Two Iranian threat actors have been observed targeting Israeli organizations. The first, Agrius, has been observed conducting ransomware attacks against Israeli entities, Checkpoint reports. What appears to be destructive ransomware attacks are actually masking influence operations, the researchers suggest. The APT group, now calling both itself and its newest ransomware strain Moneybird, has been seen in recent attacks deploying their new C++ ransomware. While the researchers did not elaborate on what organizations were victimized, the record writes the techniques reflect that of Agrius. Public-facing web servers were the initial point of compromise, which, when entered, allowed for reconnaissance and data stealing as the hackers were able to move laterally within networks. Information Security Buzz reports that another Iranian threat group is attacking Israeli shipping and logistics companies to lift customers' data. Israeli cyber firm ClearSky says, with low confidence, that this may be the work of Tortoise Shell, also known as TA-456 and Imperial Kitten. At least eight websites were targeted in the campaign, including SNY Cargo, logistics company Depot Log, and restaurant equipment supplier SZM. AI Monitor says what the firm calls a watering hole attack, or an attack infecting the website of a specific group, has also victimized some organizations in the financial services industry. The majority of websites, as of mid-April, had been purged of the malicious code. A new ransomware operation calling itself Booty has been discovered by researchers at Symantec. The tool uses variants of Lockbit and Babook ransomware, as well as a custom info stealer which is able to search for and archive specific file types. The researchers were unable to attribute this new campaign, which has been found to target both Linux and Windows machines, to any known threat actors, and so have dubbed the associated group Blacktail. Sentinel Labs released a report today regarding a campaign that they've observed targeting over 30 Portuguese financial institutions. Researchers assess with high confidence that this campaign is being conducted by a Brazilian threat group who they've referred to as Operation Magalena. Sentinel Labs writes that this conclusion is further supported by the presence of Brazilian Portuguese language usage within the infrastructure and malware. The threat group's infrastructure shows features that differentiate it from other campaigns. One unique aspect was the existence of two simultaneous peeping title variants on the same infected machine. The operation also uses Russian Internet-as-a-service provider TimeWeb Cloud, which researchers say is known for its lenient anti-abuse policies. The operation uses multiple infection vectors, such as phishing emails, malicious websites advertising fake installers of popular software, and social engineering. Akamai detailed the activities of a new botnet by the name of Dark Frost, observed targeting the gaming industry. The Dark Frost botnet consists of a conglomeration of stolen code from other botnets, particularly Mirai, Gafgit, and Qbot. The threat actor seems driven, at least in part, by a need for attention— as they've been observed on social media channels not only admitting to their illicit botnet creation and use, but have shared live recordings of their attacks. The botnet has launched DDoS attacks against not only gaming companies, but those that are gaming company adjacent, game server hosting companies, 
online streamers, and various other members of the community. While the malware was unsophisticated, it was capable of significant damage. With an ever-growing amount of source code from existing malware strains readily available, as well as access to AI code generation, threat actors are seeing a significantly lower bar to entry. Inky has detailed a new phishing attack that impersonates ChatGPT creator OpenAI for credential harvesting. The threat actors are using a multitude of techniques in this brand impersonation phishing attack, including spoofing, dynamic redirection, and utilizing malicious links. They falsify an email to appear to be from OpenAI that the researchers say looks nearly identical to the one users receive when they sign up for a new ChatGPT OpenAI account. The hackers spoof the email address to appear to come from the IT department of the receiver. They swap out the safe link in the legitimate email for a malicious link that asks for a user's credentials. If they're entered, then they're stolen. The UK's Ministry of Defense this morning pointed out a geolocation spoofing stunt. They wrote that analysis by Geolect indicates that since the 14th of May 2023, Commercial Vessel's automatic identification system data has been remotely spoofed to create the impression of a 65-kilometer-long Russian pro-war Z symbol on the Black Sea, visible on open-source tracking software. The tracks reportedly show the vessel's speeds as upward of the rather implausible 102 knots, or just under 120 miles per hour, adding further evidence that the reports were fake. Spoofing AIS, which the Defense Ministry says is used to track vessels and ensure their safety, increases maritime accident risk. The ministry credits pro-Russian actors who likely conducted the spoofing as an information operation, potentially in an attempt to bolster Russian morale ahead of an anticipated Ukrainian counteroffensive. And finally, if you were wondering how things are in the world of cyber auxiliaries, privateers, and general no-goodniks, Killnet's boss spokesperson, Kill Milk, this week announced that he was firing a bunch of his hacktivists. The Russian outlet Lenta.ru reports that Killnet participants cite clearing out groups from the gang that are insufficiently professionally contributing to attacks against the West. So, hacktivists, up your game or you're out. Coming up after the break, Andrea Little Limbago from Enteros addresses the policy implications of ChatGPT. Our guest is John Check from Raytheon Intelligence and Space on cybersecurity and workforce strategy for the space community. Stay with us. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps. 
keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. John Check is executive director of Cyber Protection Solutions at Raytheon Intelligence and Space. In collaboration with my N2K colleagues on the T-Minus podcast, I caught up with him at the RSA conference for insights on cybersecurity and workforce strategy for the space community. Can you give us some insights as to what the situation is on the ground? I mean, I know we talk over on the cybersecurity side about uh, that there are skills gaps, that there's challenges in hiring people. Is it pretty much the same in space? Yes, I would say in space, the same rules apply, right? There's the skills gap, it's lack of diversity, right? Something that we also need to address. Uh, because, I mean, space is, it has Earth's problems. It's all the same thing. <laughs> I love it. Right? Just in a different level of the atmosphere. Right, right. <laughs> Even when we build that moon base, it'll be, it'll be the same. Just a little, just, in, yeah, it'll be, the, you know, all the same uh, rules and problems will apply to, apply to the moon, I'm sure. So how are you and your colleagues at Raytheon coming at that to try to, narrow those gaps? Well, one of the key things is making sure that there's context. So to solve any problem, you really need to have the people that are deep into cyber that are here to do all the right things around that, which would be implementing the the zero trust pillars, ensuring that you're doing all the things to secure an environment, but also marrying them up with people with deep space knowledge, people that understand how satellites work, how the communications work between ground stations and those things floating above us. And how does that, and how do they talk between them? And so you put those two contexts together. You just can't just have, it's, it, you know, ultimately cyber is a team sport. Mm-hmm. And that requires all players to be engaged and helping each other fill the gaps that they don't have in knowledge. And that's one of the critical learnings we have within Raytheon is we have a part of our business that does offensive cyber. So we've developed something we call Raytheon Offensive Labs, where we teach our defenders to think like an attacker which means that's a totally different mindset you approach a problem to versus the, one of the gaps we have in traditional learning. I'll say in traditional colleges and universities, they do great work, but they don't teach offensive cyber. Hmm. Programs, you know, that's typically learned by somebody that has an interest in cyber, and they're doing that in a, in a cyber defense competition where they're defending against a red team that's trying to attack their fictitious network for supporting a company or a CTF, or one of those other aspects to where you get more of the flavor of, okay, the, you know, the greatest thing ever, my most enjoyable experiences in cyber are after you do a, a, an exercise like that and the red teamers are out briefing the teams that they were attacking. And 
the conversations are the best mm. because they're like, oh yeah, when you typed in that hundred character password and it took you, thir- you know, 30 seconds to do that, we'd already seen it, cut and paste it, and we're owning everything you had at that point. Wow. So it's a great dialogue because that person's not even thinking. They're thinking, I'm being super secure because I'm doing a hundred character password. Right. And taking the time. Meanwhile, the attacker's like, yeah, I could see you doing it the whole time. I was just cut and pasting and putting it where I needed to go next in your network. So and it's great. Those are learnings that have to continue. And I think space will exactly the same rules apply. And that's what we're really focused on is how do we marry the, okay, here's what attackers would do in space. What does it look like at a cyber vector? And how do we ensure that the defenders understand what that looks like? And in a situation like that, to see it be able to be done in a collaborative way, you know, there's an adversarial element to it. But at the end of the day, in that particular case, everybody's on the same team. A hundred percent. And it's, and it's, it really is. I mean, it, People look forward to that. That's mm-hmm. like one of the highlights because that's when you truly get the learnings of when you were doing all. And, and over time, one of the things we participate in is the National Collegiate Cyber Defense Competition, which is in its 18th year this year. And so there's absolutely been a mature, the maturity level of the teams that come to participate each year from the colleges and universities has greatly improved. Right? They've, yeah, they've clearly yeah. learned and are way more advanced than they were when the competition started. When it comes to the security of satellites, for example, I mean, you know, in a previous life, I worked in the television industry back in the 90s, and I remember talking to my friends in Master Control who were responsible for the uplinks and things like that, and I remember you know, they would use uh, uh, phrases like, let's light this candle, and things like that, <laughs> right? Um, but I also remember asking them, like, how are we ensuring that we're not stepping on each other's signals? What keeps someone from you know, lighting up a, an uplink and just stomping on someone else's signal? And the response I, I got over and over again was, well, we're gentlemen. We would not do that. I suspect we're probably not 100% in that mode anymore with the dependence on satellites that we have now, the global arena and the... Uh, having adversaries out there? Is, is that an accurate view from my point of view? I would say, without a doubt, you know, people, and I'm not going to say have, would become complacent, but certainly, okay, great, that communication you have from the ground to the satellite is encrypted. Okay, but once that satellite's up there, what are all the sensors it has that can receive input? Yeah. How are other outside entities trying to, you know, reach your security through those other sensors and other vectors, even outside of just what the communications link is. I think, uh, you know, satellite manufacturers have the same challenges that everybody else does. There's a lot of times when people release products, there are other features like microphones or RF capabilities that are turned off. Mm-hmm. And But it's still out there. It still has a capability. So if an attacker knows a feature that's on something, they just upload the driver, start taking advantage of it move laterally within that platform. Yeah. So it's really something you have to think about. It's not just the, the straightforward attack vectors. When you think like an attacker, okay, what, what comprises this? What are all the different components? How do I test each component to right. figure out what is the, the way I would be compromised? And as a defender, that's exactly the things we need to make sure we're locked down. If you really don't need a certain sensor on a satellite, don't put it up there and shoot it up in space with it on. <laughs> well, I was thinking you know, along those lines that, you know, I imagine the conversation when someone walks into their boss's office and says, uh, boss, uh, I accidentally bricked the router. 
you know, that's a different conversation than, boss, I accidentally bricked the satellite. Right. Because <laughs> you, you can't just swap out the, you know, something that's in uh, well, geosynchronous orbit. Well, it's interesting because I, I mean, from my perspective, I feel like there's it, clearly at the terrestrial level, OT systems and space, they have share a lot of the same challenges, mm. right? OT systems, a lot have been around a long years. There's a lot of satellites that were launched a long time ago when cybersecurity wasn't a concern. Right. So you get that whole aspect of it. The, the satellites can't be, they're not, you don't take them down for downtime, right? Yeah. To swap out parts. I mean, in the OT systems, it runs. Right. And you can't, you do not mess with it. You're changing the oil while the engine is right. running. So there's yeah. certain aspects. I mean, obviously you can get physical access to some OT systems. Well, we don't right? have a space shuttle anymore. Right. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that's really, if you think about it, there's definitely some similarities. So one of the things... I'm more focused on currently is how do you treat some of those same challenges? Because, you know, like uh, a smart person once told me, everybody's a unique snowflake, but human behaviors are all the same. Hmm. And with cybersecurity, space is a unique environment, but all the cybersecurity challenges, opportunities exist the same there as they do here on Earth. As you head back after a conference like this, what sort of things are on your mind? Are you, do you find yourself... Uh, energized, a, a little overwhelmed? What are you going to bring back to your team and your colleagues? Well, I'm a continuous reframer. So I'm always a glass is almost always full type of person. Mm. I'm, I'm there to solve the challenges that are come up. I'm not there to worry about them. That doesn't, that doesn't help anything. So one of the key things I'm going to take away from this uh, conference is making sure the team knows we are making progress. There are good things that are happening, right? You can be uh, overwhelmed by all the, the things that aren't good, but there's a lot of goodness that's coming out. There's a lot better collaboration. There's starting to be true information sharing, not just for the purpose of, hey, here's my information, but people are taking action related to it. They're starting to really, you know, we're getting through the, the formative stages. Mm-hmm. Maybe we're close to the, the end of the beginning to where we can really move on and truly start collaborating because within cybersecurity, without a doubt, 100%, no one can defend on their own. Unless you have a, an environment uh, that you've cultivated over time, which starts with uh, ensuring that you are doing everything you can to persist the fight as long as we can. So from my perspective, if somebody on my team finds another job at another company, I'm, I'm thrilled. I'm so totally supportive because that means there's another friend of mine out there that I can call that will get new experiences hmm. that I will probably rely on or they'll rely on me at some point in the future to figure out and solve some tough problems. And that's what... You know, when, when you think about what your, what's your goal of why you're doing things, that's where I really try to hone in on. I mean, my goal is to protect our way of life, point blank, and persist the fight. After when I'm long gone, you know, sitting on a porch, napping next to the cat that's also napping, <laughs> you know, I'll be, I'll be sleeping soundly because I know that there'll be a, a great next team forced on, you know, focused on solving the cybersecurity problems of the day that will be way beyond the problems I experienced when I was doing it. That's John Check from Raytheon Intelligence and Space. You can hear more of my conversation with him on today's T-Minus Daily Space Intel Briefing. And I am pleased to be joined once again by Andrea Little-Limbago. She is Senior Vice President for Research and Analysis at Interos. Uh, Andrea, it's always great to have you back. You know, uh, ChatGPT has been in the news a lot, and I wanted to touch base with you 
about these language models and what we're seeing around the world responding to this when it comes to policy. Yeah, no, thanks, Dave. And it is that there's been you know, great discussion about the technology and there's been a lot of you know, sort of fun discussions and we can do as far as making emails sound like they were written by Shakespeare and so forth. Um, and there obviously is you know, some benefits going along with it, but there also you know, is the negative side where we do see aspects of encouraging hate speech, um, false information, and so forth. There's actually um, some new words are being coined based upon this, uh, Hulu citations, because some of the citations mm. created are fake that go mm-hmm. along with it. And so it adds a lot of complexity that you know, may s- say something is very valid, it'll cite a Washington Post article, and it turns out the article does not exist. So there's Hulu citations that go along with that. There's algorithmic disgorgement, um, which is what, <laughs> which goes along with what, um, to the point on the, on the policy side, it's the penalty that, that the FTC can now wield against companies. And so when they are using deceptive practices on how they obtain the data for train, that's required for training the algorithms. And so basically what they have been able to do, and it's, this has been since Cambridge Analytica, so it's been not just in response to ChatGPT, but we're going to obviously see a growing usage of it that companies need to erase those algorithms if they were using data without consent for training. Mm-hmm. That's probably one of the bigger aspects in the U.S. is the FTC, and there's also an AI copyright lawsuit uh, going on. It's first class action lawsuit in the U.S. Uh, against GitHub and some of the training and output of, of some of their work. Mm-hmm. But then even more globally, we're seeing Canada, Italy, Spain, and, and some EU working groups brought together to either review or block. Italy's taken the stance of trying to block the use of it. Spain just announced recently that they're reviewing now whether they want to be blocking it as well. Um, and they're going to start bringing some coordination across the EU in that regard. Because some of the, the concerns over some of the false and negative information that can come from it, as well as the lack of consent required for some of the training. You can especially think about you know, facial recognition is a train without the consent of the people, but then also copyright infringement by training on articles that should be copyrighted. So there's a whole range there, and it's everything from you know, sort of at that level to in Australia, there's a mayor who is suing because what the output of ChatGPT said for him was that he was he was a current mayor that he was in jail uh, when he was actually the whistleblower that put someone in jail. So just you know, not just, but there are things along those lines that continue to happen. There are you know it's almost you know, defamation suits where information about someone may be false. You know, there's an example uh, recently where. Uh, one professor looked up other professor, basically asked, you know, who are all the professors that had sexual harassment claims against them? And the list was not accurate. <laughs> and so that can be mm-hmm. really, uh, as you can imagine, really harmful to someone if their name were to show up on that list and be taken yeah. as truth. So there's a lot of issues starting to go along with it. They're going to start, I think, imposing some guardrails going forward. And, and it's interesting that it's really been quite quick on the policy side, you know, much faster than we've seen in some other areas. Why do you suppose it's it's been so quick? Is it, is it just, I mean, is it the amount of attention that it's gotten? I, I think that helps with it. And then I think also just the, the accessibility of it. So if you mm-hmm. think about it, I mean, kids are able to use it to, to help explore and write papers at this point. So it's very, you know, the user experience goes along with them. That makes it very useful for anyone to be able to use. And I think that alone makes it much more omnipresent than something that would require someone to, you have a computer science PhD to, to, to leverage algorithms. So I think the usability really played a big role in it. I think that coupled with, you know, there was a data breach that occurred a little while ago where some of the search history was, was leaked along with 
some payment information. I think that also added to it. The biggest probably impetus was the usability and, and how quickly it spread. Do we have any elections coming up where, where there's concern? I mean, obviously the U.S. in 2024, but anything on a closer horizon where folks have raised uh, an issue here that that there's concerns? Uh, you know, that, that's a good point. I think, I think more broadly, there's this growing concern on all elections as far as um, deep fakes than even mm. you know voice mimicry, where it sounds like a, a politician saying something that they never actually said, and we are seeing. You know, we saw a fair amount of that in the last presidential election, and there has been different aspects of that popping up across across the globe. So that for sure is something to, to be concerned about. Um, there were some instances in Nigeria um, over their recent election and some protests where uh, a lot of disinformation was exposed that then led to you know, ethnic conflict uh, in, the, in the area. So it's, you know, it's a whole range, and some of that can be automated. And that's where, you know, when you get the, the connection of, you know, bots with disinformation to help it spread. Um, it's again where some of the algorithms come in and, and really get to the widespread nature of it. Are you optimistic that, that there's going to be policy solutions to this? As you say, I mean, the response has been quick, which I suppose is refreshing and, and good, but is this something we're equipped to handle? Uh, I'm not sure. <laughs> and that's where I think, it, I think we're going to learn a lot over the next year for what may be working and what doesn't. Because on the one hand, you know, I mean, it's, it's interesting that, you know, for under Wassner at one point, which is preventing dual use technologies, there was a discussion on how to treat encryption and then a little bit of discussion on algorithms. And, you know, part of the pushback was, well, how do you ban math? Mm-hmm. And, you know, that, that does make it very hard. So I, I think there's going to be sort of that, that tendency coupled with a tendency for, you know, ideally more, more of a you know, guardrail approach that basically, Helps you know provide guidance on how to how to properly get training data and consent and so forth, and that could actually help move up forward you know quite well and progressive. Um, I do worry about the the all out blocking and banning of it because I do think that when you ban very capable technologies for some and not others, uh, that then puts you at a disadvantage. So mm-hmm. I think if I, I'm optimistic that we can find ways to to leverage uh, generative uh, AI in a way that be beneficial and provide the you know, the force multiplying power that it could uh, while still protecting and preserving people's uh, their, their, their profiles, uh, you know, the defamation and, and help train it in a better way. But I think it's going to be a long ways to go. There's going to be a lot of uh, trial and error. I think we'll see over the next few years. Yeah. All right. Well, Andrea Little-Limbago, thanks for joining us. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber.
that's The Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. We're privileged that N2K and podcasts like The Cyberwire are part of the daily intelligence routine of many of the influential leaders and operators in the public and private sector, as well as the critical security teams supporting the Fortune 500 and many of the world's preeminent intelligence and law enforcement agencies. N2K Strategic Workforce Intelligence optimizes the value of your biggest investment, your people. We make you smarter about your team while making your team smarter. Learn more at n2k.com. This episode was produced by Liz Irvin and senior producer Jennifer Iben. Our mixer is Trey Hester with original music by Elliot Peltzman. The show was written by Rachel Gelfin. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. 